Welcome to A Conversation with Chief, where together we visit with special friends from across Native North America who will encourage, inspire, and equip us in our walk with Jesus Christ. Join us now for an engaging conversation with Chief. Well, again, I just want to thank uh, everyone that has been joining us to meet uh, different Native leaders and hearing what's going on in uh, Native America and hear, uh, meeting some other dear friends uh, that have a heart and a passion for our Native people. Today, it is a real joy and privilege to introduce Michelle Bachman. And, Hi, Aaron. Uh, yes, great to see you today. Yes. Great to see you again, too. You're a very good friend, a trusted friend. And Thank the reason is because we share the most common value that we could share. That's that we are brother and sister in Christ. We are all equal at the foot of the cross, meaning that we have surrendered our lives. The Lord sees us all the same. And we see each other as the same. If we don't, there's something wrong with us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, so, uh, again, now. Uh, you have you have had influence, Michelle. I know in government you have had influence. Now you are the dean within Regent University. Uh, when I uh, read about you, hear about you, uh, I see leadership where God's put a hand on you in leadership. And uh, I would just say, just tell us, tell us about this journey that you, the Lord has allowed you. And uh, just what uh, the Lord is doing, say, in our country, what you observe right now. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity, first of all, to speak to this important audience. I appreciate the opportunity. I was born in Iowa, and I uh, was part of a middle-class family. Uh, it was a very tough upbringing when I was a little girl, and I know a lot of people can share what that was like in their own life. Our family broke up when I was a young, young teenager. So overnight, we went to below poverty. We went from being middle class to below poverty. It completely changed my life. But like everything else in our life, whatever it is that comes our way, God uses that suffering in order to buffet us and to turn us into his image and his likeness. So rather than cursing suffering, in some ways we embrace it, not that we want to stay suffering or stay martyrs, but that we try to allow that experience to use that, use that to better us. The, the suffering in my own life showed me the value of a dollar, and it showed me the importance that I had to make for initiative in my own life. Nobody else was going to do anything for me, and I had to figure out. So I got, I got my first job was babysitting at 35 cents an hour, and I just saved my money and worked and all the rest. And, and it's a very small example, but it taught me for my entire life I've worked, and for my entire life I learned the power of saving. And I knew one thing from the experience of my early home life, I wanted to have a happy family. That was very important to me. I wanted to have a home and a happy family. And I, I, I knew that that was a good thing, and I wanted it. And so I went through, I put myself through college, through law school, through a postdoctorate degree in law. I became a federal tax lawyer. I practiced as a federal tax lawyer. And um, during the course of that time, I met my husband in college. We got married. We had five biological children. 
And then we took in 23 foster children in our home. And the reason why we took in 23 foster children is really my early life's experience. I knew how hard it is for kids. These kids were never going to go back to their families again. And so my husband and I aren't saints. We're not perfect people. We're not a great, you know, we're not a perfect example of anything, but, but we did have broken hearts for um, at-risk kids. And that's where it began. So we had our five and then we had four foster children at a time. So our census for a lot of years was nine kids in our home. And it was actually a great thing. Our biological children learned they weren't the only people in the world. There's other people out there and it was good for them. And our foster children, it was very good for them. They learned here on about structure and what it's like to have a married mom and dad and what it's like to, you know, you, you, you have to do certain things in the family. Everybody has to contribute. You go to bed at a certain time. You get up, you go to school. So they learn structures good for our foster children. And it was really good for my husband and I because our foster children were teenagers. Our biological children were babies. And our foster children taught us how to take parent teenagers, what you take seriously, what you let roll off your back. So we learned so much during those years about family life. Uh, that's that's excellent. I know, you know, among our Native American community, Michelle, family is very important. And uh, with and, and so to hear that and we have. Our Native family, of course, I think of like uh, my mother. Now, my mother, she had seven brothers and sisters. And so it was a huge family. And and like you said, we learn much from each other. We learn values. We learn uh, as Native people, we're very spiritual people, sensitive, I would say, in that way. And a lot of that has been, been taught through our grandmothers. We have extended family. So uh, in, in the Native community, my aunts and uncles, they're seen as almost like my parents. Uh, my cousins are my brothers and sisters. So uh, we are a nation or a tribe, but in a sense, we're a family and we grow by that. So I uh, think that's wonderful to hear. You know, though that's where you really uh, hear the fundamentals of life. I believe, through the family. And it widens your world. That's yes. the thing. You know, when you're talking about the aunts and uncles almost yes. being like your parents, I understand that because when we brought in, you know, the 23 foster children to live yes. over the years in our home, that widened our world too. And it wasn't just them. Our house was always open. At that time, we never locked our door. We always had open doors. And we would come down in the morning and in our family room, there might be seven kids sleeping on the couch and in sleeping bags, and we wouldn't know who they are. And we never worried about it because we figured what burglar would try and break into a house with this many kids in it? Good, you know, it, it, I feel sorry for the burglar. So, you know, we, we always had fun. We always had an open policy and there were, I mean, it was hot and cold running kids to our house all the time. Everybody had a ball, but we, we, um, we had rules. We kept order and yes. everybody had to do their part. And it yes. turned out to be a great experience. And I'll tell you, we aren't saints. My husband and I aren't saints. Yeah. But I will tell you, um, it, what all we did that was extraordinary is that we said yes. We said yes. We wow. would do this thing. And right. God is the one who spoke Huron into my husband's and my heart. He just instantaneously broke our heart. We saw our first foster child. He broke our heart for that child. And at that moment, we didn't know what we were doing, but God yeah. equipped us. 
And yes. we just said yes to do it. So it was really our foster children, Kieran, that got me interested in politics. I, I wasn't interested in politics until we had the foster children. And I saw some of the nonsense they were bringing home in their backpack. Our biological children, we either homeschooled or we sent them to private Christian school. But in the state of Minnesota, where I was from, yes. uh, foster children had no choice. They couldn't be homeschooled. They couldn't go to a private school. They only had one choice, public school. And so our foster children were in public school. But my 11th grade uh, foster daughter in her math class, her homework was coloring. She brought home coloring. And I thought, how disgusting. This girl needs to know how to do math. Why Why are you having her color? And so that be started for me a, a, a journey. God put a calling in me because I my heart was broken for this girl. If anyone needed a leg up, my yeah. foster children needed a leg up. And I thought, why are you giving them this lower education that's not going to help them succeed in life because I knew the power of education my own life to help me succeed I wouldn't have had anything if I wouldn't have tried to get some education so I wanted I was fighting for the education of my foster children so that eventually I spent five years of my life on this godly calling trying to figure out what happened what went wrong with America's education system and the bottom line is this the federal government took over the local public school classroom and they switched out knowledge, facts, and information as the curriculum. And instead, they brought in this mindless indoctrination of our kids that is nothing that the parents want. And you've been seeing examples of that across America. So that got me involved. I uh, w- eventually was elected to the Minnesota Senate. And then I went to the United States Congress in D.C. And I was a representative from Minnesota and Washington, D.C., and then actually in 2012, I ran for president of the United States. I'm the first amazing. Republican woman to yeah. ever run for president of the United States. And I'm the only Republican woman who ever has won a presidential contest. And I was on 15 televised debates. But the reason why I ran yeah. is because I saw how important health care was in our country. And I, and I saw that health, health care would drop dramatically under what was then called Obamacare, that it was bankrupting us and it was hurting our health care. It wasn't helping. We need good health care for people. And I was really worried about what we saw. So that's why I ran. And the great thing is, over the course of the time that um, I was in those 15 debates, I was the only Republican on stage that wanted to repeal Obamacare and replace it with with true high-quality care. And at the end of the time that I was there, the Republican Party had to change their platform because the people went with the position I was advocating, and all of the other candidates had to embrace that position too. So I felt like I was a huge success yes, because that's yes. what I wanted to achieve. And wow. uh, so even wow. though I didn't become president, it didn't matter. I'd yes. achieved what it was I wanted to achieve. Exactly. Well, you know, again, Michelle, what amazed me is how the Lord used you through all of that. You know, I mean, uh, to actually impact our country and our nation. And uh, so uh, I just I, I thank the Lord, like I said, to see how he's used you and what a privilege to meet you. You know, uh, I wanted to ask another question is when you look at our nation, when you look at some of the challenges that we're facing, 
I, I think of uh, what are your thoughts concerning how we're doing as a nation when it comes to some of the spiritual matters uh, within our nation? Uh, well, what it's, would it's, it's a mixed review because clearly uh, you, if you look at the polling data, it says that fewer and fewer people identify as yes. believing in the Bible or, or you know, yes. whether they're Jewish, whether they're Christian, uh, fewer and fewer identify believing with the Bible. And that has a profound impact. It isn't just you can have a surface belief in the Bible. Exactly. But what I'm talking about is a living relationship with a living God. And that has dropped dramatically as well in the country. And that's how the country began when, when we had this, what was true diversity, when yes. we had the pilgrims and the, all the various Native American tribes, because I'm not telling you anything. There's great diversity within the Native American tribes. Exactly. Uh, the, what, the uniter was uh, um, the belief in God. Yes. And the, and the spiritual practice. That's our uniter. There is no greater uniter than our exactly. faith. Exactly. And when we lose that agreement, kind of that common consensus, which we did have in America for a long time, yes. then, <laughs> then you lose the foundation. And the book of Isaiah says, once the foundations are destroyed, what can the people do? And so we never want to destroy our spiritual foundation. And so I think that's really in large part where you and I came together in a very strong bond. And this, this isn't white, black, Hispanic, Native American. This is believer in the living God. He is our hope because without him, it's what you call an existential threat. Will we exist or not? You know, the land will be here. The sky will still be here. But will we be the essence of what this great country has been in America? And what that great country has given to the whole world is the gospel. That's what's gone forth from America. No other nation on earth has spread the gospel the way that the United States has. How did we do that? First, because we fervently believed in the gospel. Second, because we had a free market system economy where we could earn money, make money. People had higher wealth. And with that wealth, the excess of what we need in our own lives, we can give it away to charitable organizations, Christian organizations, Jewish organizations. And we could spread the love of God across the world and help people who are in need. Because that's the other part of what God calls us to do, to help those who are in need. Exactly. Well, you have to have wealth to be able to do that. No other nation has been a greater force for good in the world than the United States of America. Because we've had a heart, a broken heart for Jesus, just like Jesus broke my heart for the foster children. He's yes. broken our heart for suffering people across the world. Who's the first nation there when it's a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake? The United States. Not not to give us a big head, but it's because our hearts are broken rightly by the Holy Spirit, by the suffering of others. And that's inherent. If, if we lose that, yes. if we lose the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Bible, the, the, the true relationship with a living God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when yes. we lose that, we're poorer for it. Yes, yes financially, but really the more important thing that we're poorer is in our spirit. If you're spiritually bankrupt, 
you're really bankrupt. I don't yes. care how much money you have in your bank account. When you're spiritually bankrupt, you're done. Because yes. the Bible says, um, what is it to a man that he would gain the whole world but lose his own soul? And the good news today is that everyone can know the Lord. Everyone can go to heaven because God came to this earth in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He offered his life on the cross. He yes. died not only, he died for our sins. He didn't have to die for his own because he didn't have any sins. He died for everyone's sins from the time of Adam until the most recent baby that was just born a second ago. He died for everyone all across the world. So that by living in him, by admitting our own sin, Yes. And by asking the Lord to come into our life, which anybody watching this can do, and yes. saying, Father, save me. I want to be yours forever. I give you my life. Then you can know with full assurance you will live forever in heaven with God. You want to know what changes the world here in? Yes. That's what changed me. That's what changed you. That's what Amen. will change all of your viewers. That will right. change our life for the better. Yes. Oh, man, I tell you, you're you're a preacher. <laughs> well, you are too. <laughs> we're all we're all supposed to be. If we That's know the right. Lord. <laughs> I just thank the Lord for you, Michelle. I tell you what, I just I I totally agree uh, that you know what when we stop and we look that the God has created us all. It doesn't matter what color our skin is. It, it, it doesn't matter where we come from. We recognize that we are created in the image of God. I think of Genesis one twenty six. And uh, in Romans 8, 28, uh, where it says we're conformed into his image. And, you know, when we start looking at one another in that in that way, through that lens, that it's not a matter of, of differences, but it's a matter of as far as uh, what God has done in bringing us together. And then I think of like I just totally agree is that we have that freedom. We have that freedom in Christ. And I think that's what, uh, from the very beginning, uh, that's what they recognized, that they that those pilgrims that came, they were free to worship uh, the Lord God. They were free in relationship with one another. Uh, so you know anyway. the other thing they were free to do? They yes. were free to suffer. Yes. Because yes. They, they put themselves so strongly in the hands of the living God when they came over. Yes. from the Netherlands, that right. they knew this was not going to be a picnic. And it yes. wasn't. I just got off the phone with another guy who was describing that journey of the pilgrims. It's funny yes. you bring that up. Wow. They suffered so much that yeah. that very first year, in the first few months, half of them died. That's and right. they, they were they were begged to go back to yes. to um, to the Netherlands and not to stay here in what is now the United States. But they knew they were called. They knew yes. they were called by the Holy Spirit. They prayed about it because they didn't come here just for themselves. They yes. came here because they wanted to share the gospel. They knew there were people here in yes. this land that we call America, and they yes. knew that the gospel may not be here. This right. was a church plant. This yes. was a missionary journey. Wow. These people That's were right. here to share the gospel. And the beautiful thing, it was the greatest love story that happened up in the Plymouth area because right. the 
all of the knowledge, the wealth of knowledge and the love that was in the Native American people, they shared that with the pilgrims. And the pilgrims shared their love and knowledge with the Native peoples. And the greatest story, the longest period of race, of, of peaceful race relations was the story of the Native Americans who were already here and the pilgrims who loved each other. They grew in love with each other for 50 years. 50 years. And then it wasn't until subsequent generations where hostility started. But they loved each other because they loved Jesus first. There you go. There you go, Michelle. And that's what I say. They they were living according to what scripture says. I know a lot of times our native people say, well, what about the the hundreds of years of the atrocities? And my answer to that is that, you know what, in the beginning, when their heart and passion was to evangelize, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, then when they started focusing on civilizing, that's where the issues came. And and again, it was the fact that we got away from really passionate uh, to God's word. So anyways, again, what a joy it's been to talk with you. And I believe, Michelle, this is the beginning of relationship. Again, uh, I just, and when I met you last time, I was dressed in all my feathers and regalia. Oh, you, you struck quite a pose. Very impressive, her. And I, I love seeing that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, it's, it's just a reminder to pray for our Native American people. When, when I think of the United States, we have 576 different nations, okay? We have over 9.7 million Native people living in our country. And so my, my message to the church as a whole, and it is, it is a, uh, the heart of our Native people to see God move again within our nation, a revival, a national revival to take place. So I would just ask you, Michelle, to take, in closing, take time and pray for our Native people. Pray for me as I go and work with Native peoples, all different groups. And you know what, Michelle, I'm going to commit to pray for you as a leader within our nation as well, that God will will do something this year in a mighty way. Okay, so will you close in prayer for us? Amen. It's an honor. I'm here in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which this was a also a Native American community where the where the cross was first planted. I, I'm I'm right here by where the cross was first planted in the sand at Cape Henry, and wow. this is where our nation was dedicated to God and to send the gospel all across the world. Just think, right here, that prayer was answered. This prayer, we know the Lord answers this prayer. So let's join together. Father, I thank you for my brother Huron. I thank you for what he has done, Lord, for his people. I thank you for what you have done for him. Lord, you are the giver of life. And from the very beginning, Father, when you created the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, Lord, our hearts were sin. Immediately, you put us in perfection, and yet we sin. Father, we don't know why we do this, but we do this. And so we come to you now asking forgiveness of sins. So, Lord, my brother Huron, would you help him to be your messenger with his people and the non-Native community to bring peace, love, reconciliation, healing, 
Would you anoint my brother in a way that he hasn't even experienced before? That he, you would use him to be that person to bring hope, healing, peace, and love to the world that you take him to. I pray hope, healing, peace, love to my Native American brothers and sisters who were wrongly treated, who their ancestors were wrongly treated, who today still suffer that disparate impact. And so, God, we don't deny it. But, Lord, we also know that we don't stay where we are in our suffering. That's right. You are the miracle-working God. And so I pray for a miracle for the nearly 10 million Native Americans in this nation. I pray wealth for that community. I pray health for that community. I pray for freedom from addiction for that community. I pray that you would give them your identity. That they are free from sin and free to advance your kingdom. So, Lord, we pray for freedom today, for liberation. And I pray that you use my brother, Huron, to help bring that about. And I pray complete freedom and and, uh, liberation for the first peoples of the United States. You love them. You died for them. That's right. And it's your plan to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Michelle. This was a precious time, and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you again soon. David, we will do. Thank you again. Love you, Karen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us in today's conversation. We trust you've been encouraged by what you've heard. The mission and purpose of Chief is to disciple and equip a strong Native American leadership for the development of the indigenous church throughout North, Central, and South America. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry of Chief and how you can be involved, please visit us online at chief.org. Thanks for your interest, and we'll look forward to you joining us again next time for another Conversation with Chief.